When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Marina, New Zealand, good morning to you. A really busy Monday as we reflect really on a wonderful weekend of sport. Well, almost. Completely wonderful, wasn't it? Uh, John Hart will be with us very shortly, former All Black coach, of course, to analyse that performance uh, over Wales. Craig McMillan uh, to look at the fabulous, wonderful Black Caps uh, and that performance over India. Uh, one of the downsides was uh, the Black Ferns not really firing at all against England and uh, they got a hiding. So Melody Robinson, former Black Fern and uh, TV personality, of course, will uh, look at that one and just uh, see where it went wrong and look at the preparation, etc., uh, and what next? Uh, and then uh, we'll have a panel, of course. Uh, we'll visit uh, the TAB. Uh, and also after 11 o'clock, it'll be uh, across to Australia where we'll talk to Andrew Voss, as usual, on a Monday. Uh, and then Simon O'Donnell, former, uh, former great Australian cricketer uh, and also a, very, a man very heavily invested in the racing industry. Of course, it's Cup Week in Melbourne. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy Sermon. Well, there was a time not long ago when the Black Caps were the second, second favourite team for Indian cricket lovers. That's probably consigned to history now, along with the possibility of Indian glory in yet another world event. 2019 in Manchester, out of the World Cup go the favourites due to a powerful bowling effort by Bolt, Southie and Co. 2021, out of the World Test Championship in Southampton go the favourites due to a powerful bowling performance by Bolt, Southie and Co. In 2021 in Dubai, pretty much out of the T20 World Cup go the favourites due to a powerful bowling performance by, you got it, Bolt, Saudi and Co. Do you reckon there's a pattern here? Well, Mr Magoo could spot it. They can't handle accurate pace under pressure. And there's a tonne of that on them now. This morning was a good old-fashioned whopping, a demolition of the highest order. You have to wonder now for Coley and Shastri and the masterstroke to have Dhoni in the dressing room as a mentor. Too many cooks, too many chiefs, you get the gist. And they better be making another batch of those Captain Kane steady the ship hats because under his control, the black caps look assured and confident, not perfect, but steering in that direction. The captain is on the bridge, and only now a couple of tweakers from Afghanistan are the icebergs on the course to the playoffs. Not so good for the Black Ferns on the back of a record hiding at the hands of England in a significant milestone match. I didn't see that coming. 
They were massively outclassed, looked desperately short of competitive 15s rugby. Wonder where they might have uh, got some more of that. Maybe the last two rounds of the Farah Palmer Cup, or even better, a fixture in America, like the All Blacks, on the way to get on track. It's a toss-up for gifts of the weekend. Was it Bodie's two intercepts and a non-sin binning against Wales to celebrate his 100th? Or Isodi's mini bag of Coley and Sharma to celebrate his 29th? Whatever you decide, no matter. It's been a decent weekend for the blokes. Hell, even Danny Lee just banked over half a million dollars. Well, the All Blacks have returned to number one in the world rugby rankings after thrashing Wales 54-16 yesterday in Cardiff. There was plenty to like about the performance, particularly in the second half. Uh, it's now, of course, created even more competition for spots within the group. And joining us now to talk through the game and the options moving forward is uh, former All Blacks coach uh, John Hart. Good morning to you, Hardy. Thanks so much for your time this morning. Good morning, Smithy. Nice to be on the show. Thank you. Uh, look, uh, first of all, let, let's talk about uh, Bowden Barrett, eleventh centurion um, for the All Blacks, and uh, he seemed to relish the occasion. A couple of intercept tries and a pretty good all-round performance. Yeah, I was thrilled for him because you know a lot of pressure on him. Uh, there's been a lot of you know talk about uh, him and Richie Moanga, and um, you know he had to step up, and he really did. I mean, I thought he was quite classy um, outside of intercepts. I mean, some of his uh, passing, some of his skill. You know, the try that Leonard Brown got, the, the subtlety of his pass to Ioani, you know, there were some really, really touches of class. So uh, very pleased for him. I thought he had a real uh, outstanding 80 minutes, and uh, as did the all-back team. You had to pick uh, between Mertens and Spencer and Brown at times. So how does how does Ian Foster go about picking between Barrett and Moonga in your eyes? Well, look, I think he will, like this week, I'm almost certain he'll play Moanga. Um, you know, I think he's trying to give them both games where he can. I, the ultimate choice will come down, you know, he's going to have to make the big call against uh, Ireland, but more particularly France. Um, you know, I think it was quite a statement on the weekend that, uh, in my view, that was probably on form the, the, the best all-back team they could pick. I don't know whether Opa Tungafasi was injured, but outside of him... Um, I thought probably they'd pick the best team they could. Um, and so, you know, maybe he showed his hand a bit more than people realise. I, I don't think he would gift uh, Bowden Barrett the 100th game in that way. I think it was more, uh, you know, I think he thought he was the right one for that occasion. And, you know, I think the big decision will come when they come to Ireland and France. I would imagine you look at uh, rugby matches in a slightly different way than, than most of us sitting at home on the couch, etc., when you look at a performance like that and, and you look at the scoreline, how, how do you judge that performance as a former coach with, with your eye? I think that was an excellent performance because it showed, it showed something they lacked, maybe discipline. Their discipline was very, very good. Uh, they took the points. They built um, scoreboard pressure. I thought the captaincy of Whitelock is really shining through uh, with this all-black team. I think he's making a real difference. I think they missed him in Australia. Um, and I think now, you know, he's showing the, they're showing the benefit of having him as a captain. But the all-round display, you know, the physicality of the forwards, the, the scrum, the line-out, uh, functioned much better. They got go-forward ball. 
Um, and then the brilliance and the skills of players like, um, uh, you know, the, the wingers, uh, you know, just came to the fore. Um, the, 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 some of those tries, I mean, I don't think you, you couldn't wish to see uh, better tries than the two tries in the second half. Uh, just before we head to those brilliant backs, uh, Hardy, can we just focus on the loose forward trio? Now, we had Blackadder, of course. We had uh, Papa Lee and we had Adi. Is that probably, I mean, you mentioned the, the top 15. Uh, is that a combination you like now? Well, um, and I think I don't think um, Akira Iwani's done anything necessarily to exclude him from that, and nor has Luke Jacobson. So, you know, there's, there's, they've probably got five loose forwards who are in form um, and uh, probably what they'll end up doing is picking the three as a three um, in, in mm. terms of uh, going ahead. Again, I'm sure you'll see players like Jacobson, Brazil, um, Kane probably appear in you know the Italian game. Uh, from And then after that, I think you know it'll be horses for courses. So I'm sure they'll look at the opposition and see what's What's needed? I thought Blackadder again. He, he's a very good player. Made a couple of mistakes this time. Missed the odd tackle. Missed the tackle. Dropped a, a ball in contact at what was a crucial time. But outside of that, you know, again, he, he showed his worth. Um, but I don't think Yuani's out of that race um, at all. Uh, and Dalton Papalihi is certainly making it really hard for anyone to get that seven jersey because uh, you know he had a very very clinical performance again. Um, and probably severe in terms of his attacking game, uh, was the player of the match in the sense of his leg drive and a sense of his skill set. You know, he featured in the Rips try very well. He featured in the Perinara try, you know. So, you know, he's really come on in leaps and bounds in the last uh, few weeks, and, and uh, you know, it's going to make it pretty hard. That trio will be pretty hard to shift, but they do have options. They do. Um, they're quite rich in that area all of a sudden. Uh, and, of course, they've got uh, Sam Kane, who seems quite a long way off at this point, doesn't he, as the, the, the nominated captain to begin the year? Yeah, look, I think they will um, probably give Sam Kane this game. Um, and then, you know, they'll just, uh, I think they'll be pretty pleased to get him through, you know, um, and have him ready for 2000. I think they'll be looking at Sam Kane more in 222, Smithy, than they will in 221. Um, it's not as though they need to. They've got the options pretty well covered at the moment and and look he hasn't had the football um you know and i think that showed a little bit naturally against um against the united states usa um but he'll get better quickly um but i don't think they'll push him too far to try and you know put him into the test team maybe for france I, i'd be very surprised if he he was chosen ahead of a papalihi at this stage just in terms of uh, form and getting him back into the fold properly mm. Okay, let's. Uh, one of the, the, I guess, most debated positions uh, at the moment without Aaron Smith is, is the nine jersey. They, uh, they gave TJ Perinara the start this time around. Uh, where do you see that mix? Yeah, well, they're different halfbacks. Um, Weber and um, Finn Christie bring different skills to Perinara. Um, they probably are sharper to the ball and, and probably sharper of the pass than Perinara. Uh, Perinara is combat. He's a you know he's he's a winner. He's he's combative. He's a very very. He plays a tough game, um, and you know you can't underestimate what he does and how he's rated in that team. And 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 so, you know, 
they probably decided this game was his. The, obviously, the Welsh game will the um, Italian game. You're probably likely to see the other two feature, and then again they'll look to what they need against France and to a lesser extent Ireland. I, I think France is shaping as a huge game, and I think uh, you know Perinara may be well someone they choose in the French game because it's going to need all the experience in the world. So I think it's experience versus speed of pass. You know, like there was a ruck early in the game where he wasn't even there. They lost the ball, came back, and that's been the feature of Weber and Christie is getting to the ruck and clearing the ball quickly. Um, probably because they were going forward most of the time, that didn't show up as much this weekend. Um, but it is, it is, there is a difference in the games of uh, Perinara and the other two. But, um, you know, his experience is something you wouldn't want to underestimate. We've always, uh, when we've been going well, Hardy, we've always appeared to have like a, a cleaner-upper, someone who's a real organiser in the midfield, and it seems, it's, we, 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 you look at the likes of Conrad Smith, uh, you look at a player like Leonard Brown, uh, who, who really is day in, day out, pretty much reliable, isn't he? Absolutely, first choice. Um, you know, he's a very, very good test rugby player, and whether he's at 12 or 13, it doesn't really matter. Um, he's, he reads defence exceptionally well, um, and he, he's, he's got all the experience in the world. So, look, I, I think, uh, you know, probably the challenge is still whether, you know, is Havili doing enough to cement himself? You know, I, I thought early in the season he looked fantastic. Um, I was really excited because I think he brings different, you know, a different dimension mm-hmm. to 12. Um, they got they got clogged up for room a bit on the weekend when the opposition were coming up fast and and they made it difficult for him. But he's still a very clever footballer. But you know maybe it's it's twelve and thirteen, which is not quite as settled as you, as they might want. Um, I think Ioanni's made huge strides as a distributor. Um, you know, which is something which people might have been critical of him as a thirteen. And if they saw that, then, you know, Leonard Brown is still a 12 option. But Havili's kicking option is usually very good. Um, and the young fellow from the Chiefs is obviously an exciting prospect. So talent there, and, you know, you've still got Goodhue to come back next year. And there's a, mm. a young guy going to be going around for the Blues that might show a bit of interest next year too, and Roger Tuvasashek. Yeah, we're all waiting for that. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, have have we been? Have we had more riches in the back three, back four area? When you look at those players that that can't make a bench, even you know, we've got some severely good quality there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it's fantastic. I mean, both fullbacks. Uh, you know, Geordie Barrett's doing everything right. He he his goal kicking is being you know he missed a couple, but boy, otherwise his goal kicking was just superb on the weekend. Um, and he's playing well. So, and McKenzie's doing well in his own right. They're two different players, um, and and McKenzie will still get more options. But boy, the 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 the, the strength we've got on the wings at the moment, with um, you know the all round strength, what we've got four or five uh, real strong contenders at the moment. Um, any of whom could play. And then you got Caleb Clark, who's sitting back here and missed out mm. this year because of seven. So you know the depth. I don't think you've we've ever seen it. It takes me back a little while, not quite the same, but when I was coaching and we had, um, you know, I had uh, Cullen, uh, Umanga, Wilson, and uh, a young guy called Jonah Lomu. You know, it was mm. a pretty exciting time too, but the 
what I'm excited about here is the variety that you've got in those wingers. There's a lot of variety in the back in the back five, back three. There's a lot of variety um, in that group. Uh, Hardy, just changing tack ever so slightly. The twelves has been put on ice. Well, the prospect of a twelves competition has been put on ice by World Rugby. Do you, do you see it as a go? Do you, do you see uh, room for it in a rugby calendar? Well. Look, I, I think the challenge for the game is to get the global season right, and that's what they're all working to. Um, and and ultimately, if you want get the, the global season right, you want to see, I think, the best of the Southern Hemisphere playing the best of the Northern Hemisphere. And so, I think that should be the priority. Um, I don't. I, I, I'm certain that something like twelves could have a lot of spectator appeal. Um, and it could have a lot of player appeal too if the money's you know as big as they want. But you know we've been looking for a global competition or global season, and I think it will be a shame if this is is uh, comes across as something that interferes with that. If it can be fitted in as well, uh, then maybe you know it's got some merit because you know there's no doubt that teams of twelve with less players on the field may, would be quite exciting because there'd be a lot more open play. Um, so I think it's got it's got its it's got its um, attributes, but Smithy, I just I'd like to see it. But you know, my my dream would be to see the best of the Northern Hemisphere clubs playing the best of Super Super Rugby teams each year, or yeah. you know, or every second year. Uh, so I think that should be the priority at the moment. Okay, Hardy. Just finally, um, your other hat too. Uh, the New Zealand Golf Open uh, on track. Yep. Well, we're working as hard as we can. Uh, we're, we're desperate to try and hold the event. Um, we've changed the date to try and help with that. Um, you know, it's one of the few events that's uh, looking like it could happen in the Australasian Tour. But listen, it will all come down to government. It'll all come down to decisions they allow in terms of uh, alert levels and travel from Australia and, and Asia. Um, so, mm. you know, at worst... Um, at best, we'd have a full international field, but that's really uh, that includes Asia and Japan. Uh, if that doesn't happen, we could still run a very, very successful tournament on an Australasian basis, and we're determined to try and run it because New Zealand hasn't got many events, hasn't had many events. Most have been cancelled. Queenstown is really hurting, uh, and an event would be fantastic. It'd be great for golf. So. We're going to do all we can, but, you know, it's uh, a slippery slope because unless until we know have some certainty about what government um, programs are going to be and what their attitudes are going to be towards travel from overseas, it's really hard to know. But at this stage, we're still planning as though we're going to be hitting the uh, fairways of uh, Millbrook in March and April next year. Okay, well, we'll keep our fingers crossed for that because, as you say, New Zealand needs it, golf needs it, everyone we need to get back in the groove, I think. So that would be a great way, yep. I think, to get it underway. Hardy, uh, thanks, thanks for that, and thanks for your analysis on the rugby as well this morning. I uh, appreciate your time. Thanks, Malik. Bye. Yeah, yeah cheers. Goodbye. Uh, John Hart there with his uh, very learned watch over the top of that all-black performance. Sounds very encouraging about uh, the makeup of the team and the individuals that we've got on offer. So uh, good, to ha- good to have his thoughts. And, yeah, positive Hopefully that, that New Zealand Golf Open can go ahead next year at Millbrook. Uh, that would be a, quite a signature way to start the new year, I feel, with international sportsmen being allowed to come to New Zealand. Cross our fingers for that. Subjects for the day. What impressed you most over the weekend? Was it the All Blacks? <coughs> if so, why? Or was it this morning?
the complete and utter demolition of India by the Black Caps. Uh, for me, uh, the win against uh, Wales was expected. The margin, perhaps not quite so much, but we did think it would be comfortable. But that performance this morning by the Black Caps uh, was just unbelievably good. How good is that bowling unit? Because we have said right from the outset, this tournament will be won by the best bowling side. Have we got it? Uh, have we have we got it? On the strength of what you saw this morning, we've got to be right up there. Double eight, double three is our number here on SENZ. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Hi, Smithy says, Carl, has there been any announcements of any teams coming to New Zealand to play the Black Caps over summer? Well, this is the way I read it so far, uh, what's coming up after this particular event that we're into now, Carl. Um, later in the year, November, December, New Zealand will tour India and they'll play three T20s and two test matches there. Uh, then they'll come home and Bangladesh will be here. They'll play two test matches and three T20s in December through January. Uh, January, February, the Netherlands will be here for three one-day internationals. That's new. Uh, haven't seen them here uh, before. Maybe in a World Cup, that would be about all of uh, remember them being here. Uh, January, February next year, New Zealand is scheduled to go to Australia for three one-day internationals and one T20. Uh, and then February, March, South Africa tour here. And uh, that is for two tests and three T20s. And then India tour here in March next year. They're scheduled to do that for three one-days. Lots of Little bitsy th- series, aren't they? Three one-dayers here, two, two tests there. Uh, and then uh, in June next year, New Zealand go for three test matches into England. So that, that's the way I read it, Carl, at the moment. But just like we were talking to John Hart and, uh, about the uh, New Zealand Golf Open, all will be about the government, really. Uh, the cricketers will want to go ahead. New Zealand cricket will want to go ahead. The broadcasters will want to go ahead. Uh, it's just a case of whether they can get teams in and out of the country um, quite easily. Uh, at this stage, wouldn't say that's a real goer, would you? Uh, James has come in and said, Smitty, the result this morning with India would be going down like a cup of cold sick at the BCCI. You're not kidding. Uh, do you see there being a massive shake-up over there? That's three times we've knocked them out of a tournament over all three formats. What I see going there right here and now is uh, all sorts of phone calls and people looking at each other thinking, what the heck is going on here? We have a high-powered team with high-powered players, uh, probably the best balance we've had for a long time. This is India I'm talking about, and we're going nowhere. So what is it? What's wrong with it? I I look at those methods of dismissal this morning, and it just bewilders me. Top-quality players. I mean, Sharma could have been out first ball. He was dropped down in the deep, just hitting one in the air. I mean, why did they they do that? Why such great players like that take risks? Uh, when they don't have to hit the ball in the air all the time, and they, they were just picking out fielders as if they were playing golf, hitting it closest to the spin. There wasn't, they weren't hitting gaps, trying to hit gaps. They were just hitting it straight down their throats time after time, and it was just be- bewildering for me the way they fell over. And once, of course, you get the, t- the top two or three out early, they ain't got, they ain't got a, uh, the pressure. They can't handle the pressure uh, with those coming in behind them. So that's the way I see it. It was a complete and utter shamozzle from them and a, a dominance by us and uh, our bowling attack at the moment you, you look at Soda, you look at Santner and uh, I think they bowled eight overs for about 25 runs man against India against India uh, how's that Smithy glad I got up at, at three this morning says Jared Black Caps were awesome what a complete performance against India confidence aplenty going forward I totally agree uh, I, they should be really thinking about how well they're playing at the moment and back themselves I think 
in the past we've got to these sorts of things and uh, we start to doubt ourselves. I don't think this team does now, and neither they should. World Cup 2019, World Test Championship, and now on track here again. So basically same nucleus of players uh, thinking about winning and uh, getting the job done on a regular basis. 9.30 here on SENZ, it's news time. 110 for two. Kerr bowls to Williamson, who's across the stump and flicks him through square leg. There is the winning run. New Zealand have thrashed India. Romping home to an eight-wicket victory. Chasing down the 111 runs needed for victory. With plenty of runway left. Crushing victory in India. Wow, they're in a whole heap of trouble. As New Zealand take the honours by eight wickets. They're in a whole heap of trouble, all right. No doubt about that. Uh, that was uh, Daniel McCarty with his thoughts at the conclusion of that match live here on SENZ. Uh, and the Black Caps are now in control of their own destiny. Uh, speaking of that, uh, in this uh, World Cup, after that eight-wicket win, and uh, joining us now to analyse that fantastic one-sided performance it's Craig McMillan, former Black Cap, of course, and been involved around the Black Cap squad for quite some time. Uh, Macca, thanks for joining us this morning. Man, uh, that was uh, pretty conclusive, quite clinical, really. Yeah, well, it was morning, Smithy. It was um, a very polished performance from New Zealand. Um, in a match that was effectively a sudden-death quarter-final for both sides, but New Zealand showed uh, more discipline and looked more desperate than what India did, which was surprising. But um, all in all, I just thought... It was actually the performance that I was expecting from New Zealand in the first match against Pakistan. And they weren't too far off in that performance, but they obviously took stock of what they needed to improve and what areas that they needed just to um, work on a little bit. And I thought it was, as you mentioned, a very clinical all-round performance. I look back on the way we're bowling to their top order. I go back to Manchester when uh, we knocked them over early with that conservative run chase they had there. I go to the World Test Championship, and we made early inroads uh, both times there. And now again, uh, we let them have it early on in the piece. We didn't open with Santner. We had a real crack at them. Uh, and in, we in, in the end, we, we lulled them in by, by conservative bowling, um, bowling in the right areas, into mistakes, which I wasn't quite expecting. So is it our brilliant bowling, or is, have they got a weakness of the big names? Well, I think India having a weakness against New Zealand, don't they, Smithy? If you look at their record against us in World Cups over the last 25, 30 years, it's not good. And this is one of the powerhouses of world cricket. So there's obviously an issue there. But I just thought it was the discipline and, and the bowling was excellent. I like the fact that uh, we used Salvi and Bolt for two overs each in that power play. Um, just sent there just the one. So they hit a little sniff. But the thing I liked was actually pre-match, Smithy. The way that I think Trent Bolt talked about bowling to Rohit Sharma. Talked about... Um, LBW in his front pad because that's how Sharma got out against Pakistan if you remember the left arm swing bowler Shaheen um, Afridi got him out LBW in that match and Bolt talked about the same sort of thing remembering that Sharma and Bolt played together at the Mumbai Indians in the IPL and then first ball Bolt bowled to Sharma it wasn't trying to get him out LBW on that front pad it was a short fast bouncer that was on the mark that he top edged mm. because he was a little bit late not sure what was coming, and unfortunately it was dropped by Adam Milne at final league, but it didn't cost New Zealand too much. But it showed me that they'd done their homework, they were smart in their bowling plans, and they were really disciplined about how they went about it. There was only two wides in the New Zealand bowling lane, so it was an excellent performance. 
Well, it was, and uh, I just wonder whether India, they promoted Keisha. Normally, Sharma would probably walk out first, um, but they, they, they promoted the left-hander. I, I wonder whether they were thinking we were still going to go with Santner and they could have a crack at, at with a left-hander. Yeah, I think that could well have been the case because um, New Zealand have used Mitchell Santner quite a lot, generally for two overs in that first six-over power play. Um, and I guess that's the great thing about Kane Williamson and his leadership is the ability to be flexible. So they made that adjustment. Um, it worked for New Zealand. It didn't work for India. I mean, Rohit Sharma is one of the world's best opening T20 batsmen. So you sort of question why you would move him out of that slot. But um, all in all, New Zealand just had too much. They were too clinical, they were too professional, and they were just too good and all, all round. And I thought the batting was also pretty impressive. The fielding, a couple of catches went down, but there was an intensity mm. to the New Zealand performance that wasn't there perhaps in that first game against Pakistan. But now, as you mentioned, their destiny is in their own hands. India don't have that luxury. No, they don't. They absolutely don't. They're relying on uh, us slipping up or on Pakistan who are playing so well, and I'm not sure that's going to happen. So uh, they've got real issues uh, to sort through India. And, and uh, I also like what I see from uh, East Sodi all of a sudden. He's... He's got good control. He's getting people out. Uh, key wickets. You get uh, Sharma and Coley on any, any day, you're pretty happy. But that, that's what I'm, is impressing me. Uh, we've almost got a combination there between Sony and Santa, which has been, it's been promised to us for a long time. It has. I've worked together for a, for a number of years now. And uh, I think in terms of T20 spinners around the world, those two are right up there. You've got Mitchell Santner, who um, is hard to get away, um, doesn't concede many runs. Um, and then you've got the leg spinner who's your attacking weapon who, as you mentioned, he's the guy to pick up two or three wickets and if he can do that, and sometimes Mitchell Santner does that as well in the right conditions, he can pick up two or three as well but it's so crucial in T20 cricket that you're picking up wickets between over 7 to 15 if you do that, then generally the batting side aren't getting any partnerships have no momentum and we saw that last night so their 8 over spell between those two I thought was very influential and crucial to New Zealand's success what we were calling on this uh, station, we were thinking about why not Conway at the top of the order, let your, your, your best batsman bat at the top of the order. Uh, and so they persevered with Daryl Mitchell, and, and again, Mitchell was very, very impressive. Admittedly, in a short run chase, and you have a bit of a licence there, uh, but he came off. Yeah, he did. I'm a big fan of Daryl Mitchell, Smitty. I, I think he's just a very, very talented and good cricketer who... Um, when he plays on your side, makes your side better. He's one of those guys with a competitive edge. I have to admit, I was surprised as well that he was put to the top because we hadn't seen that from New Zealand leading up to the tournament. And Conway, Conway did so well for New Zealand at the top of the order. The only thing I can think of, perhaps, is that they thought that spin's going to play a big factor on these pitches um, in the UAE because they've been used so much. They really have been thrashed. So spinners through that middle period are going to play a big part and they thought that Conway probably alongside Williamson are our two best players of spin and having that left and right hand combination against spin is going to be crucial through the middle so they made that adjustment I mean Mitchell's a power hitter he's he's a strong lad who hits down the ground well um, plays spin well when he first came to New Zealand he came from Perth from WA so he played all the back foot shots and played fast bowling well but couldn't play spin well but he's really evolved his game and now I think he's a crucial member in the side the other factor too, Smithy, that New Zealand used five front-line bowlers. Quite often we tweaked mm. two or three part-timers. They still had James Neesham, Daryl Mitchell, and also Glenn Phillips to bowl if they needed some more overs. So to me, it looked a pretty balanced New Zealand lineup. Um, a bit tougher, Tim Seifert, but it looked a good lineup that did the job. 
What do you make of um, what will be going on in the Indian dressing room? You've been around Indian players, Indian franchises, etc. Uh, what do you think um, will be happening there? I mean, they've got a dressing room that's uh, got Ravi Shastri in there, powerful figure, Virat Kohli, powerful figure, and all of a sudden they throw MS Dhoni in there as a mentor. So what's happening there? <laughs> Yeah, it's an interesting one. The dynamic of that um, changing room would be fascinating to be a part of and, and see how it functions um, because very strong personalities. Um, they'll be disappointed. I mean, there's huge expectations on India, as we know, whenever they go to a tournament and they haven't delivered at World Cup since 2015, no, 2011, back home. So it's been a while um, between drinks for India at World Cups. They really have struggled and generally New Zealand has been the nemesis who have knocked them out of World Cups. So... They've got close, but I think they've got the players. We saw at the IPL, they, they had the perfect run into this T20 World Cup in terms of the IPL and playing a lot of T20 cricket, but they just haven't quite got things right. They've had a couple of injury, injuries. I think Hardik Pandya, who actually bowled last night for the first time for a while, he's a key member of their side in terms of the balance, and he hasn't been able to really function because of injury for a while, and I think when they miss him, it has a real effect on that side. So... They've got quite a few things to think about, but obviously Rohit Sharma and Virat Kohli are the two keys in terms of the batting in that Indian side. And if you knock either one of those two players over without them getting 50 or 60, then you're a good chance to win. So what will we do now? Um, you know, it's a very quick-fire tournament. Uh, we've got Scotland and Namibia. They're two should wins. I mean, really comfortably should wins. Do we keep playing our players? Uh, I would imagine the batsmen you do. Do you muck around with the bowlers or you just keep this unit ticking over, bearing in mind Afghanistan lie there as a possible, just a possible roadblock? They do. Um, that's a real banana skin match, that Afghanistan match. Well, the key for the next two matches, Smitty against Scotland, uh, maybe like you mentioned, is net run rate because um, net run rate could well come in at the end of this tournament if New Zealand do drop a match. So they've got to get it up against those two minnows. They have to beat them and beat them well so that um, if they do drop another match, they could still go through on net run rate. So the, the focus will be on winning, obviously, but they actually have to win well and make sure that that net run rate stays high. OK, just finally, uh, who for you? Uh, us, clearly. Pakistan, England, uh, anyone else a, a, a danger in the tournament for you or is it down to three? I think they're the three top sides. I think... Australia will still make their way through to um, the semi-finals. I know they got touched up by England the other day. But I'm always wary of Australia, Smitty, especially when we play them. So if they do get through, hopefully they're on the other side of the draw. But um, to me, there's, there's a standout with Pakistan and England so far with what we've seen. They've certainly put the performances on the board. They have two very good T20 sides. Um, so it's, it's set up for these last few matches for the sides to make sure they get through. But... New Zealand now put themselves in the hot seat, which is great to see. Macca, always great to, to get your thoughts on uh, a great uh, Black Caps performance, and I think it was in that bracket. So, hey, thanks for joining us, mate, and uh, let's enjoy the rest of the tournament. We've got chance. Look forward to it. Yep, we do. Thanks, Cheers, mate. Cheers. Thank, yeah, Craig McMillan there, folks, uh, with his thoughts. Double eight, double three is our text number. Um, keep them coming in on uh, what you thought about uh, impressed you most over the weekend. Uh, was it? Uh, the, the All Blacks and the thorough performance, particularly in the second half against Wales? Uh, or was it that Black Caps win over mighty India yet again? Uh, and how confident are you that we could go the whole way and finally, finally wrap up one of those white ball to uh, titles? Wouldn't that be cool? Absolutely. It's way back in Kenya, I think, we last won a one-day type competition. 
So uh, that would be fantastic again. So get those texts in, double eight, double three. It's 9.44. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, Michael Vaughan, a former England captain, has come through and tweeted, no one will admit it, including themselves, as they are so humble, but New Zealand are pound for pound the best all-format cricket team in the world at the moment. Fact. That's from Michael Vaughan, who's a pretty good judge. A pretty good judge, I've got to say. Uh, and uh, he's pretty harsh. He doesn't mind uh, coming forward instead of holding back, uh, Vaughan. So he would be very, very impressed with the way New Zealand are going across the board. Uh, Anthony says, uh, hi, Smithy JD. Just think we have beaten India 9 out of 13 World Cup tournament games. Class bowling by all five. And uh, the point that uh, Craig McMillan made was very valid too. Just used the five bowlers. Didn't have to mix and mingle with part-timers. And that's what happens when you dominate. Everything goes to plan. It's not a cakewalk for Kane Williamson, but it's a hell of a lot easier than the alternative if you're a captain. Uh, disagree with Macca, says James. Wouldn't it be better to play Australia rather than England in a semi-final? England on fire like Pakistan, he says. Well, yeah, they are. Uh, I, f- I hasten to add uh, the thing about T20 cricket is it can all change very, very quickly. Uh, it's not like you have a second crack either. So uh, it's uh, hit or miss, but at the moment we are certainly hitting the target, not missing it. So that's the good news on, on that respect. The other good news to come through this morning uh, was that Danny Lee finished second. I watched uh, a lot of this tournament because uh, it followed on after the cricket. Uh, and he actually blew this tournament. Uh, I don't want to be negative about it, but uh, he dropped three shots in two holes from hitting uh, the middle of the fairway and making... It was uh, it were tough conditions, but he made a double bogey and a bogey, uh, and ended up missing out by just one. So I mean, he was close, very very close. Uh, just uh, four, he was fourteen under, one shot behind uh, Lucas Herbert from Australia, and uh, that netted him around five hundred and seventy eight thousand US dollars. Not such a bad payday for a bloke who is struggling. I'm not sure where that uh, sits him. We'll check in with uh, Phil Tolteringi tomorrow morning on where that sits him in terms of is playing on it and that sort of thing. I think if you get a top 10 finish, I think you're allowed to play in a couple more events. So to finish second might get him a few more exemptions, a few more invitations. Uh, We'll check in with Phil uh, just after 9.30 tomorrow morning about that. But it's 9.51 here today, and when we come back, multi-time. Voice of Sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the whole Know when the fold up Smithy's multi Know when to walk away And know when to run Bet live on your favourite sports Download the TAB app today Well we let Trudy have a go on Friday And uh, Trudy got the West Coast up to beat Buller That was cool And then Whanganui beat uh, North Otago That was very cool The Dallas Mavericks got up to beat the San Antonio Spurs In one of the battles of Texas And then it just changed a wee bit Bay of Plenty to beat Waikato, Waikato just beating Bay of Plenty, just getting up in a very close match, so uh, that was no good, and for some reason, some reason, I don't know why Trudy said, uh, Tottenham and Manchester United a draw, well Manchester United <laughs> beat Tottenham with so much ease, they beat them 3 You're no, funny, you're well. a crack up Mr much, Smith. <laughs> much people chagrin, particularly mine. Uh, Tottenham and Spurs didn't even get close. So uh, let's start the week off with another one. Big punting week, Melbourne Cup week. Be nice to get some in the bin, wouldn't it? 
Uh, the Dallas Cowboys to beat the Minnesota Vikings today. That's NFL this afternoon at $2.10. Uh, South Africa, I think, to beat Bangladesh in the Cricket World Cup. See Quinton, Quinton de Kock back in the, back in the uh, side and uh, operating well at $1.29. And uh, Game 5 today, an important one in the World Series. Atlanta Braves are on track here. Uh, to beat Houston at $1.97. So the return on that is $5.34. So uh, we look forward to that one. Uh, Jared come, has come in and said, Black Caps for me was the highlight of the weekend, um, even though uh, Shane Van Gisbergen drove very well. Uh, the ABs were thorough, but this is a World Cup, this cricket thing. And I just wonder after the Test Championships win, uh, whether this team uh, is in belief of that they can match it with anyone. So the monkey is off their back. Proud Black Caps supporter. Leave Delphi, leave Delphi out of your combinations at your peril, says Guy Lennox from Wanganui. Leave Delphi. A little bit, dis- little bit disappointing, Guy. I-, I think it's fair to say in the Caulfield Cup. Looked, like, uh, looked a little bit like Guy Lennox now, uh, running out of gas at the right time. Uh, energy levels perhaps down when it came to the crunch in there. So unlike your playing days, Guy Lennox, uh, we're... You're an 80-minute man. I'm not quite sure. Not quite sure that Delphi's got the 3-2. Uh, we shall wait and see. Uh, morning, Smithy. was our day. Everything came off. That's T20 cricket. India were probably targeting uh, 170 plus. It didn't come off. That happens. Okay, so not running India off at this point. Uh, but they, they did succumb because we put immense amounts of accurate pressure on them. Uh, we'll have uh, Melody Robinson, former Black Fern, after the break. Uh, wasn't the result they were looking for on the 100th, the big occasion. So what happened? We'll find out from Mel very shortly. News time here. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And the 10,000 strong crowd at Sandy Parker on their feet for the world number one Red Roses who have put the Black Ferns to the sword in their 100th test. Their biggest ever score, their biggest ever winning margin and Zoe Harrison, player of the match, has the final say. And the Black Ferns in their first match for two years, their historic 100th, not to be today, outplayed. And back to the drawing board for New Zealand. Yes, it was a massive occasion, the 100th Test match uh, for the Black Ferns, uh, highlighting a great history uh, for women's rugby in this country. But it did not go to plan. They were belted, actually, 43-12 by England in Exeter. Um, and uh, not the result that, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, they were hoping for, or to a large degree, we were expecting, or should we have expected um, uh, not as much from them. Uh, World Cup winning loose forward. Uh, Melody Robinson won the World Cup twice. Uh, a coveted Black Fern of herself, of course, and uh, making great things uh, in television as well these days. Uh, Mel, good morning to you. Thanks so much for your time. But morning, I haven't spoken to you for so long, Smithy, and it just happens to be on a morning where I'm very grumpy after watching that game. I got up live for it too. <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, well, I watched it as I watched it as well. I was throwing and uh, tossing and turning between uh, cricket and uh, and once that was under control, I went back to the women's rugby and uh, I had a, I had a lot of the expectation. We've had a lot of the girls on on this show over the last two or three months. They were so looking forward to it, so they'll be desperately disappointed. Yeah, 
Yeah, totally. Uh, that is just right there, just a lack of uh, test-hardened uh, rugby experience for that group of girls. You know, nine debutantes in that um, team that uh, put the black jerseys on for a start. So that's a big ask against a very experienced, uh, well-oiled, well-resourced English team. So, uh, look, there's just a lot of lessons to be learned from that. And the first is set-piece, you know, um, the line-outs were just uh, poor and you absolutely cannot uh, lose that much line-out ball. Uh, that suffocated them from having ball in hand. We saw them throw a few loose uh, passes, get the ball that way, and they look good when they've got the ball um, moving like that, the black ferns, but you know, there's a lack of precision, a lack of mongrel, um, no dominance, and man, have they got some work to do. Did they pick the right team? Did they have any options in your mind? Uh, look, for this point in time with a couple of injuries, uh, that's probably the team that they should have picked because they've got to, they've got to blood them and, and give them lessons somewhere, right? Um, but, you know, they do need Kelly Brazier back, uh, who will bring his experience there uh, when Portia Woodman's back. And then next year after the seventh commitments, let's hope players like Sarah Hiddeney uh, make themselves available because they just need uh, a little bit more skill and experience there. So, no, there was there was um, a lot of uh, you know head kicking. Uh, you know when they kicked it into the um, deep, when they had the wind behind the back, they kicked it straight to players. Uh, the kickoff ball was very flat, didn't give them the chance to attack. There were so many basic things. Um, that they know they'll need to fix. But the, I honestly think they'll look at that, learn and turn it around. I think you'll see some massive improvement next week and then two tests against France as well. OK, well, uh, let's uh, look at the, the build-up, which was almost um, non-eventual, really, because uh, they took two, two uh, weeks off the final stages of uh, the Farah Palmer Cup. It would have been nice to see them in that competition. Uh, was that the right thing, um, you know, to take them away from competitive 15s rugby or... Uh, or did they have no option? Looking back, you would say they need to play rugby. And uh, I did question why they took them out uh, at the time. So um, you can now probably say, look, more game time would have been better. But they decided to work on uh, their moves, you know, their team cohesion and uh, getting that team together to prepare because they just haven't had uh, much time. So, you know, it's one or the other. Uh, now they're playing test rugby, they've just got to turn it around and go back to the basics. You know, even that line-out, like, they started walking in very slowly, they were beaten off the ground uh, at pretty much every lift, no explosion. Like, the, the, these things are actually pretty easy to fix. Um, mm. It's just that what I think really is they just need a real leader in that back line to start directing the strategy uh, because there was a, a bit of a lack of leadership out there too. Okay, let's... Um were there any upsides for you? Uh, a scoreline like that, you, you kind of think, well, not a lot, but were there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, uh, I think a couple of the individuals were awesome. Aisha uh, Yinger on the wing, uh, she's always fantastic. Stacey Flula was doing heap out there by herself. Um, yeah, and, and I think when you saw those reserves came on, maybe they he made the changes just a little bit too late there because, mate, there was some really good impacts uh, from the bench. So... So, look, I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, confident that they'll be the most disappointed um, and they'll be the ones looking at uh, what they didn't do and I think they'll be able to turn a lot of that stuff around because it was just rustiness, that's all. 
you know, what, 28 months out from rugby, it's, we can't yeah. expect them to suddenly beat the world's number one, who were actually really good this morning. So, um, yeah, tough ask. Okay, so um, they're very strong, aren't they, at set-piece? I, I looked at their set-piece, yep. set they were very, very strong, and, and they were very... They looked very organised and very confident about pretty much everything that they did. How far ahead of us are they uh, overall, do you think? And, uh, or is that just a one-off and, and, as you say, we'll close at the margin quite significantly next time round? Mm, no, I think they are 31 points ahead of us at the moment, that's for sure. Um, I think we will close the margin and by the time you get to that World Cup next year um, where you can also build into your systems and that uh, the Black Ferns will be back, it's just going to take a little bit of time. England, you know, what, how many tests have they had? They're 15 tests unbeaten mm. or something. They've had 14 um, since the Black Ferns last one. So they've got their Six Nations. They've got big, fit girls. They're well-conditioned. They've got this uh, formula and strategy they've played very well, and then they've got some amazing sevens players that they've brought over, um, like Holly Aitchinson, she was at centre. You saw that distribution and their ability to get the ball out wide. They played really, really well. They could have scored more tries if they hadn't dropped the ball um, as much. Mm. So the Black Friends were probably a little lucky that uh, the score was only 43-12. I'm being very harsh here, but I just know that the standards mm. that they hold themselves to are just much higher than um, what happened this morning. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they'd want it any other way to, to be analysed in that regard. I don't, you know, it's it's a very, very... Well, I'll, I'll, that brings me to my next question, actually. How, how much more professional is England, England women's rugby and their setup and their support base uh, compared to ours at this point, bearing in mind we've got new competitions coming up and some more money coming into the game for the individuals? Yeah, well, they've always had uh, really strong competitions through their clubs, and they were, uh, well semi-professional, or they would call it fully professional, ahead of the World Cup last time in 2017. So in that professional respect, uh, they are ahead. I think they get resourced um, more because it's England rugby and they've just got more money than anybody else and they've got a huge number of players to pick from as well. So uh, England have always been strong and um, that's just a really good example of, of why what we saw this morning kills me though, I tell you what, that, that rivalry up between the Black Ferns and England, it's not a warm one, there are no aftermatch drinks. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool, um, that's cool, I mean, we're, yeah. ours wouldn't have tasted too good this morning anyway, I just, I look at, uh, I was talking to John Hart a little bit earlier and he's talking about bringing the global nature of rugby together, that's one of his big passions about bringing the global world of rugby closer together, Northern mm-hmm. Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere, I look at the, our only real quality opposition down here as uh, Australia, to be fair, and I think they're quite a way behind us in some areas of, of women's rugby. I just wonder, with more competition, I mean, once every four years or three, three years or something, to, to play against these powerful Northern Hemisphere sides, I, I would have thought that would benefit us. So we, should we be looking at more regular Northern tours, a la the All Blacks? Yeah, yeah look, uh, World Rugby has got plans to uh, start this global women's competition after the World Cup and that has got in it um, Oceania groups of competition um, you know European and then you've got that top level that top tier where New Zealand will be involved and where they will go overseas and play a lot more regular uh, test matches so that's going to benefit big time Um, it would have been nice over the last couple of years if Australia had been 
um, slightly resourcing their Wallaroos team because that would have been the team that the Black Ferns might have been able to play over those COVID, um, you know, a couple of years because really at the end of the day it's COVID that's really impacted here because the, the All Blacks are the only um, team that were able to play over the last couple of years. You know, Māori team played Pacifica team here, but that was in New Zealand. So um, we were isolated, we're at the bottom of the world, uh, we're disadvantaged in that respect as well. So that, honestly, this global um, rugby competition for women's rugby in particular uh, is needed. Uh, it's late and it's really good to see that World Rugby are going to put some money into this. Aside from uh, the two changes you mentioned, which are, are back three changes, Kelly Brazier and Portia Woodman coming back in with all that experience, what about the areas mm. where we were beaten up up front? Do we, what would you do there? Would you say, well, OK, you, you girls got it wrong this time, go out, we'll work on it this week and you can go and get it right, or would there be changes for you there in the offing? Uh, I think that um, Bremner uh, on the blind side and also our new lock, uh, their body position was super high when they're going into contact. So theoretically you could keep them on, but you just have to really hammer them with a lot of contact this week in terms of uh, getting that body position low. So that, again, it was a real small basic that uh, they didn't do and they continuously made that mistake there. Uh, I would have, maybe I'd think about changing that front row because they came on and played particularly well. Our line-out didn't work, so bring on the other hooker who's uh, renowned for really accurate line-out throws uh, and really just hammer those set pieces over the week. It's, it's a big big ask. If they can turn it around in a week, that would be pretty impressive. Um, I think that if they can just iron out the basics, it will be um, you know, the next step towards making sure that they're prepared for the World Cup. I think some of the, the thing here that I'm super passionate about is Black Ferns are an amazing rugby product, right? You know, you've seen them on Sky for the last couple of years, 2019, 2018, massive audiences watching um, on those curtain raises. So they prove that they've got an awesome rugby um, event and extravaganza that people want to watch. But that game this mm. morning takes them a step backwards. They still have to be winning and they've still got to be playing good rugby. And when they come out to that World Cup next year, they've got to be right at that top level again because no one's ever paid to go to a women's rugby game in this country, ever. It's either been a curtain raiser or you get in the gate free. This will be the first time uh, that anyone pays and got to make sure that they're right at tip-top uh, level and quality um, and putting some good rugby out there. I'm backing them at that well, just, and I'll still pay. Very, you know. very, very, very <laughs> timely. You won't have to pay, you know that. Uh, very timely. Uh, World Cup tickets went on sale at 9 o'clock this morning, I'm told, for the opening day of the tournament where the Black Ferns will play uh, the Wallaroos in October yeah. next year. So we're looking there at, at, on the basis of that at some very, very big attendances. We, we generally do support World Cups pretty well in this country, don't we? Yeah, I, look, their opening uh, day is, what, uh, three tests back-to-back or maybe four tests back-to-back at Eden Park. And I think you'll be surprised that they turn the games into more of an event with um, pieces of entertainment around it, which will really, um, I don't know, attract young kids and keep them amused and, and mean that there's a, a lot more to do there than just watch great rugby. So I'm really excited about that opening day. And then there's a kind of a sense of nostalgia, really, about the Blackfords going up to Northland to play a test match. So um, I've already got a whole... A group of Black Ferns that 
uh, we're going to stay up at a batch and, and head off to that game as well. So I think that you know people will get behind it. It's going to be fun. Uh, a lot of investment and time has been put into you know the ICC Women's World Cup cricket, um, which I believe that ICC will make a decision on very soon to confirm uh, whether that's going ahead or not. Fingers crossed it is. Um, and then Women's Rugby World Cup and then the FIFA. So. You know, it, women's sport is, is it's good. It, it's a it's a good product to watch generally. Um, family orientated, different from um, you know your normal All Blacks match where you go there and you sit there and you don't smile too much until we win um, and watch the game every second of it. Mm. But it's all good because it all sort of mixes up into making rugby um, attractive for a big bunch of people. It's uh, that trip to Northland, knowing you, Melody Robinson, sounds like one hell of a party. Oh, well, absolutely. I'll tell you what, I, I can't wait. Um, I will be very healthy until the World Cup starts and then I'll be la- be allowing myself to eat bad and have a few beers. It'll be great fun. <laughs> Good on you. Hey, enjoy. I hey, love talking to you, Mel. I love catching up after all this time. Thanks so much for your time this morning and your very honest analysis. I think it was very good. Thank you. That'll be great. Thank you, Smitty. Yeah, cheers. Mel Robinson there, of course, uh, former Black Fern herself doing wonderful things in television as well. Um, and uh, with a, I, I like it, and, and I don't make any apologies for being a bit critical about our top women sporting people because uh, that's what they want. Uh, you know, they, 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 they want uh, to be analysed, they want to be looked at. Um, look, it's not very often we, we criticise a Black Ferns team, is it, to be fair? I mean, they've been so dominant around the world for so long. Uh, it's not very often uh, that they're, they're on the back foot to this, to this extent, so... When it is, you need to be looked at, and uh, that was cool, Mel Robinson there. Uh, we've got a panel very shortly, um, and that'll take us through uh, for uh, about 20 minutes with a news break in between, some honest analysis from then too of uh, events over the weekend. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Panellists this morning are Jamie Wall and uh, Glenn Lama. Let's uh, start with Jamie this morning on the All Black, shall we? Um, what, did, what did you make of that performance, uh, Jamie, in the end? Very comfortable. We thought there might be a margin, but uh, how impressed with you uh, overall were you? Yeah, kia ora, guys. Um, very impressed. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that game. Uh, it, was, it was a really good display of skill and intent from the All Blacks, uh, in a test that, you know, they were expected to win, for sure, um, but it was against an historic rival in front of a really big crowd that really made the occasion, you know, into something something really special, and credit to Wales, they came out and sort of made a game of it for the first half, which was, again, to be expected, um, but it was more just the way that the All Blacks put that game away. They didn't... Um, mm you know, play for penalties and kick to a corner like a, like a sort of more dominant team would traditionally do these days. Um, they just backed themselves and scored some of the best tries we've seen all year. I think uh, Will Jordan's is a f- contender for the best individual try. And then, then um, the one that Sebi Reese got not long after was just an incredible team try. So, yeah, I, I'm really, really happy with this. This three weeks was always going to be a bit tough uh, for the All Blacks because, you know, it's, it's three games that they're expected to win big. Um, so I'm just quite quite stoked that this one, I guess, lived up to the expectations and um, and gave gave that big crowd uh, and people back home 
something to be something to be happy about because um, uh, because it has been a really long tour and uh, there, there was a little bit of conjecture over you know whether the All Blacks could sustain uh, people's interest back here this this whole time and so it's building quite nicely now for these last two tests against. Uh, Ireland and then a really big one against France uh, and Paris that we can all look forward to. So, yeah, yeah, really worth uh, getting up early for that one. Uh, good morning to you, Glenn. If you'd have written a script for Bowden Barrett's 100th, you probably would have chucked in an intercept or two or something spectacular. Uh, so it all came to it all came to pass really. And 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 then uh, the referee perhaps uh, did him a favour by not showing him a yellow card for an intentional knockdown, but. Uh, jury's out on that one, but certainly uh, you knew he was going to figure it was never going to be quiet for Bowden Barrett. No, that's right, and it was great to see him kind of um, play like he he did Smithy in you know the first few tests when we we think back all those years. Now it was a very similar performance, wasn't it? Where good to see him in the clear. You know he's got that still got that good pace, and uh, good to see him enjoying his rugby. Um, um, but yeah, I think Jamie's pretty much hit the nail on the head. I thought that seven rest try was was fantastic. Actually, I, I thought that was the. Just, I love I love tries like that where the where the players just pass the ball, beat the man. It's it's good to watch. So um, it was good to see them play to the end of the game. Really put Wales to the sword in the in the end. It being it, I thought it was a rather predictable result um, and scoreline to be honest. Um, and hopefully we're going to get some more competitive matches in these last two games coming up. And, um, yeah, that one in France is, uh, is going to be interesting and, uh, look forward to seeing who, um, who materializes, which players get picked by in Foster for those two games. Jamie, on the evidence of what you saw from Barrett, if you had to pick a side for, uh, that game against France next weekend now, who's your 10? Ha, yeah, great, great question. Um, Barrett, I, I think. Come on, Jamie I, Barrett. <laughs> 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 no, I'm still not over him leaving the Hurricanes and going to the Blues. Um, yeah. But then again, yeah. I have to pick a guy from the Crusaders to play at uh, at ten. But I, I think um, the the way that this this tour has been selected um, so far is is that Richie probably probably is still the number one. Um, I'd I'd probably still have him there as well. Um, because uh, given the nature of this game, it seemed like a really good occasion to give um, a guy like Bowden Barrett his 100th test and sort of make it all about him and have it have one where he can stay on the park the whole time. So, yeah, I, I think Richie still is is their first their first pick. He's, he's probably my first pick um, right now as well, just because of the the kind of more general ship that he is showing around the field to be able to. Make a game more tight um, if they if need be. Although the All Blacks did play a very tight game in that first half, uh, especially in the lead up to TJ's uh, try, uh, that I thought um, was was a really good execution of, of a, a well thought out game plan. Uh, so yeah, I'd probably go with Richie, but it's, it's very close, very close margin. And and if Richie was to pull up short um, during the week, then they're not they're not really losing anything. I mean, you know. He's played 100 deaths and scored uh, 700 odd points, so you know it, it's not going to be a tragedy if, if either one of those guys can't play. Okay, it's coming up to the news at uh, 10:30, so uh, we'll we'll just pause briefly for that. If you can stay with us, uh, gentlemen, Jamie and uh, Glenn, when we come back, uh, perhaps we'll look at um, uh, how Adi Savia rates in terms of his season so far. Is he is he your player of the year? Or has someone else caught your eye in that regard? Maybe Will Jordan.
Uh, but it's time here for Trudy and uh, a quick break. The panel. Jamie Wall and Glenn Lama with us this morning and uh, just staying with the All Blacks uh, briefly. Glenn, from your point of view, Artie Savia, uh, he's been a captain, but uh, man, his form is unbelievable, that leg drive. Uh, he's having a hell of a 2021. Yeah, mate. I mean, I, I think you're spot on there, and um, he's been um, he's been very good. I always remember when Julian Savia came into the Wellington system, and we saw him for the first time. And I remember talking to a few of my old mates down in Wellington, and they said, "Oh, I said, how good is this guy, Julian Savia?" And they said, "Wait, to the till his brother comes into the scene, his younger brother, he's even better. He's a flanker." And I went, "Oh, yeah, okay." And then um, over these years, we've just enjoyed him. Uh, but look, I, I actually think that that um, try he set up for Peranara, uh I mean, that was just such a how we managed to get free to throw the ball to Peranara was 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 fantastic. Uh, uh, just brute strength, and uh, yeah, look, it's um, he's he's going very well. He's accomplished in two positions now. Uh, where he goes when Kane comes back um, is going to be interesting. I'm assuming he'll stay at number eight and, and they'll keep him there uh, because that's where he's getting better and better, isn't he? So, yeah, look, I mm. for my for my player of the year, Smithy, I can't think of any anyone else at the moment. He, he's, he's going great guns, mate. Uh, Jamie, can we look uh, very uh, briefly at the Black Ferns, please? Uh, it was their 100th test match, uh, a real milestone match. But in the end, uh, it was history-making, and it, it was their record-breaking defeat to England. Biggest margin ever. Um, so what did you make of that? Do we put it down to no preparation, or uh, all of a sudden we're so far behind? Yeah, it was extremely disappointing. And uh, yes, you, you, you'd mentioned no preparation, but that's actually a lot of that is the Blackburn's own fault. Uh, if you remember a few weeks back, we were talking about um, how... The best, uh, all the top players have been pulled out of the Farrah Palmer Cup uh, the last two rounds of that to be in a high performance camp. And when when that happened, I thought, well, if things start to go south for you on this tour, that that is what's going to come back and haunt you because what they should have been ironing out in in that camp was stuff uh, like set piece, which really let them down uh, in this game. And for them to clearly have not been playing for a good month or so uh, in the lead-up. Like, they did have a practice game last week, to be fair, but it's not the same as playing a, a proper game, you know, of interprovincial rugby in New Zealand. Uh, is they can't... They, they have to kind of look inwardly for, for the reasons why this, why this game uh, went the way that it did. I mean, I wasn't particularly hopeful because, you know, England have been playing, have had matches for the last two years and the Blackburns haven't. Uh, but they they certainly had enough chances to have a build up of decent rugby in the lead up to this, and also they are a professional set, semi professional setup now, I must add. So you know the scrutiny on them has to be quite quite high, uh, because this was a decision that was made by coaching and management, and um, so you know things have to get better next week uh, because they're not going to get any easier. Uh, for them with these games coming up because, you know, they've got another game against England and then two more against France who have also been playing this whole time as well. So, yeah, it's going to be an uphill battle. Let's uh, look, uh, Glenn, if we can, at uh, one of the great performances, I think. Uh, overnight, anyway, was uh, the cricket performance. The Black Caps absolutely superb, dominant mm. right from the outset, really. Uh, very, 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 very impressive for mine and... Uh, 
Um, we couldn't have asked for much more, to be honest, on, on what I saw. No, you're right, mate. Um, Daryl Mitchell, uh, I never mm. would have picked him as an opening batsman, uh, but didn't he hit the ball nice and clean in that run chase, Smithy? Um, uh, I don't know where that would be worth finding out where that idea came from and, and how he would reacted to it when he was first kind of thrown the idea by the Black Caps management, or I assume it came from, because I actually think that looks like it's got good legs in it going forward. Um, they bowled beautifully, didn't they? I mean, it was interesting to note that every wicket that New Zealand got, though, Smithy, was basically an outfield catch um, on the boundary. I don't know if that field was slightly bigger than the normal grounds around the world, because most of the shots weren't badly timed out to the outfield were they they just didn't quite get to the to the boundary for sixes and there's always seemed to be a fieldsman there so that was quite interesting so um but all in all i mean you'd have to say this was a very accomplished performance a beautiful bowling and fielding performance a really accomplished run chase we got there with 33 balls to spare and nine wickets to spare which is going to boost our net run rate if it if it ever comes to that um who knows it might it probably won't now now we've uh, beaten india uh, if we can continue to play like that, uh, we will be right in the mix for the title, you'd think. Without getting into specifics on, on anything about it, Jamie, um, where does, where does uh, Gary Stead sit in this? Where, he seems to have an incredibly low profile, but an incredibly good record. He just seems to surround himself uh, with the right people and organise well. Uh, I mean... Uh, shall we be giving him more, Gary Stead? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, just just quickly, on um, it is great to see Daryl Mitchell uh, in, in good form because it did actually come out last week that um, his, his his old man um, got let go from the Eddie Jones coaching setup in England because he went to go watch him, his son play and Eddie didn't like that. So that, that was the end of their relationship. So, I, you know, hopefully it's still watching him and being proud of him. But, yeah... Get, Gary Seed obviously deserves some credit because the team's heading in the in the right direction. And um, yeah, 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 you kind of hit it on the head there. It, it always kind of is a bit difficult for the layman to understand exactly what a cricket coach does. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, they all obviously have have jobs. Uh, and I think it's more of a kind of a football manager type of situation where it is about getting the right people in and making the right selections uh, and things like that. And it is it is a weird situation for someone to be in, uh, to be, because it is, you know, you're, you're so much more overshadowed by the captain in terms of decision-making. Um, so I think part of being a coach is, is the ability to resign yourself to the fact that you're not the key guy in the team. You're the only guy in world sport where you're, where the coach is not the key guy. And so you need, I guess, a certain type of personality of a guy like, uh, Gary Stead, who clearly has that, um, uh, to be able to, you know, maximise the potential of, of the outfit that you have. So, and he, yeah, he's doing he's doing a good job. I, I told him. A little bit like uh, Mike Hessen, pretty understated there during his reign, uh, Glenn. And uh, mm. we've got this guy who who does not um, attract or go searching for accolades, but he does, as good coaches do, surround himself with. Um, a lot of common sense and a lot of experience, a la the bowling. To me, the, the, the bowling is the key to all this because if you restrict, you'll chase them down. And, uh, you know, you, you put Shane Bond in the mix, you um, Shane Jurgensen, of course, uh, you, you, you're, you're stacking your things in your favour. You, you get the good people. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And Fleming was involved, wasn't he? In fact, is he, is mm. he still involved at the moment? I mean, I don't know what. No. Nah. Yeah, I don't know what I impact he might have had in his short time there. But um, but you're right. I, I actually think Jamie's observation about a cricket coach is quite good there. And I actually think the best uh, thing that um, to take that a step, I think Stead knows all that, and he's quite happy to accept that um, he doesn't need to, um, you know, he's not there to teach players how to play the game, is he? He's there to just keep their mindset on the job and to keep them focused and, and execute their, their plans. And I guess he's also there to scout and look details and uh, look details at how opposition might be playing and trying to pick up a few things there. So, look, I just think... Um, the, the team seems very settled. They're well led, obviously, by Kane. And wasn't that, actually, wasn't that um, that paddle shot over leg slip? Mm. That was pretty amazing, wasn't it? And that, uh, and that, mm. and that, that shot of that he played this morning. Just everything is just humming along nicely at the moment. Um, and we've got good depth that we haven't had probably ever before. So there are options when it comes to picking players for certain conditions when they when they're confronted with them. So I think we're all um, everything's humming along nicely in it, and it's very well led by Stead, who's very aware of what his role and other people's roles need to be to make a good uh, cricket team really function well. Yeah, absolutely, it's looking good. Unless uh, bask in it while it lasts, but I, I do mm. I do fear a, a little a little iceberg in the in the, um, the course for me is uh, Afghanistan and two spinners in particular. Um, they've got a, a couple of real good ones, uh, Rashid Khan. Uh, mm. One of the best in the world at the moment. So uh, I'm not uh, counting my chickens, uh, but I'm thinking <laughs> we're going okay. I'm, I think Good. we're going okay. Gentlemen, gentlemen, thank you very much for your time this morning. Jamie Wall and Glenn Lama, our panellists, in review mode over a wonderful weekend of sport. Or well, not always wonderful. Of course, the Black Ferns and some serious analysis. And uh, I totally agree uh, with Jamie uh, when he says... Uh, they, they deserve to be looked at because um, they're getting towards a very professional state and um, I, I think that's uh, not a problem at all. So here we go. It's 10.41 here on SENZ. Voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 10.47 here. A, a number of texts have come in, which uh, one includes from Goose. Uh, Smithy, just wondering what's happened to Salika Winiata. Is she not available? Well, we've uh, tried to uh, get hold of our man or two source, and uh, he's thinking as a police officer she might not have been available for this. Certainly she's been playing for the, the man or two women's team, and she's very, very good, uh, without doubt. Uh, so we'll just uh, hold out on that, Goose, and we'll, we'll try and find out a little bit more about that. Um, Hugh says, can you uh, repeat the multi, please? I will, but you can also check it out on our podcast that will be posted there, Here It's the Dallas Cowboys uh, to beat Minnesota Vikings today at 2.10, South Africa to beat Bangladesh in the cricket tonight at $1.29, and in Game 5 of the World Series, the Atlanta Braves at home to beat Houston at a buck ninety-seven. return there, $5.34. Uh, hi, Smithy says, Sharky, Danny Lee is playing on a minor medical exemption and needed a solo second place or better to secure his playing status on the PGA Tour. He still has another couple of opportunities, I believe. Well, if that's the case, uh, that is a real blow because at one point he stood on the 12th tee, Danny, um, Danny Lee, he was leading the tournament. Uh, when he stood on the 14th tee, he was three behind. He managed to make up a couple of them, uh, and he played some brilliant golf on very, very trying conditions. It has to be said, it was awful. Um, but he, he played well throughout the four days, but 
Had he finished second place by himself, uh, then he would have got uh, that playing status on the PGA Tour. He was second equal, in fact, with Patrick Reed, who made a charge towards the end of it. And Patrick Reed, of course, was our inter-show bet so, uh, to finish in the top 10, so we got that one home uh, ourselves. An update on that later in the week. Uh, hi, Smithy. Like you, I'm very worried about the game coming up uh, against Afghanistan. I watched the end of their game against Pakistan, and they had them in trouble until one Pakistan batsman, Asif Ali, came in with a couple of overs left and hit three or four sixes to win the game. In fact, he hit four off one over, uh, and he scored 25 off seven balls, Carl. Uh, so that was a match-winning performance, but you are dead right. Uh, their spinners can tie you in knots if they get the right conditions, and uh, they worry me. They ever so slightly worry me, maybe more than slightly. Uh, Mel not harsh, Mel Robinson not harsh in her uh, observations. The line-outs and the scrum were inept, so set pieces, no good. Uh, did not bring bench on early enough, Mel said that. Need to play a fast game to have a chance to compete, Mel said that. So uh, thanks very much for that, Chris. Good observations uh, and, and listening to that. Uh, personally, uh, someone comes in and says, personally I'm prepared to give the Blackburns some slack. New Zealand played no test matches over two years where England played the Six Nations twice over the same period. Uh, maybe if the Black Ferns played like that by the tour's end, there would be some concerns. Fair enough, good point. Scrutinising women's sport, the White Ferns played more games than the Black Ferns, so their performances could be critiqued a wee bit more. OK, well, we won't let up on, them, on the White Ferns either because they're going into a World Cup year. Uh, and uh, we'll get some racing observations now on a visit to the TAB as we get forward to 11 o'clock. Dead update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Catch up with Louis Herman Watt now from, uh, of course, uh, loveracing.co.nz. And uh, Louis, uh, the weekend absolutely outstanding. Uh, it didn't disappoint, did it, Derby Day? No, it didn't, Smithy. And um, look, I don't want to be that guy that takes a victory lap, but I do have to say, I thought that this tipping comp, this illustrious tipping comp that you invited me into so humbly, um, Mudgy's, Mudgy's tipping comp, I, I was thinking it must be double points, double cash for Derby Day. It's the day of days. It's the punter's day of days. So when I've cleaned them out and finished three points clear of the field, I was thinking there might be a little a little sling from you in there, Smithy, or something, a little shave of that SENZ contract or something. But um, yet, yet to arrive, so <laughs> chase that one up. Yeah, well, don't stand at the letterbox too long and don't, don't worry about... Uh, don't worry about um, me inviting you in and not charging you a fee. I paid that upfront fee for you to get in there at the entrance fee in the first place. So um, just get on with what what we're ringing you about, will you? Uh, the racing. Stop the gloating. Just get on with the racing. So, yeah, yeah, that, that's fair. You know, that's fair enough, Smithy. Um, right. So Derby Day on Saturday means Melbourne Cup on Tuesday. We all we all know that. Um, I hope we run another one. Look, to be fair, it's not it hasn't been the best performances on me last month. But um, yeah, Melbourne Cup tomorrow. And, and I just can't wait because there's so many elements that kind of have been boiling into this. The biggest one for me is incentivise. So I think I read that the bookies in Australia are up to lose $50 million. $50 million, which is a lot. And the other thing I read was that he is the shortest price favourite in the Melbourne Cup since Farlap. So it's not a race you meant to go out as a two, uh, under a $3 shot. So it is incentivise. I mean, we know he's a freak. We know he could be might and power-esque, but... In that field, in that track, over 3200 under $3, it's, 
it is quite hard to wrap your head around. So when you, when you hear the thing, figures that bookies are up to lose fifty million, Smithy. I mean, I don't know if you can remember a time. Uh, I know you're pretty confident. I think we spoke about that last week. But he's a freakish horse. But the question mark. It's just like how I can't get my head around it personally. I can. I think he's just better than the rest and quite comfortably, and I don't think the barrier worries him. There's a long run down that straight, uh, a long way down that straight for Brett Preble to get him into a handy mm. enough spot and to be able to dictate or pounce when the time comes. So, Louis, I have no issues. We'll talk more about that, of course, tomorrow Let's morning. And then and then uh, um, we'll, we'll look at some tips as well throughout tomorrow because it's a big focus tomorrow, racing. Uh, a big week for the TAB. It's that time when Armaguard line up outside all the agencies and bank the money real quickly, Paul. Uh, so you got all hands on deck this week? Yeah, we certainly do, Smitty. Uh, speaking of money, you made a wee bit of money on the weekend as well with your SENZ showdown, Patrick Reed to finish in the top 10 uh, in Bermuda. Jeez, finished mm-hmm. tied to second with our very own Danny Lee. So well done there, Smitty. Yeah, we were pretty happy to get that one up, Paul. Uh, it's a big day uh, for American sport before we even look at the racing tomorrow. Uh, game five of the World Series and some NFL. Yeah, exactly. The Braves just one win away from taking the World Series. Uh, they looked very, very good yesterday, coming back from two runs down to win 3-2. Um, plenty of action on today's game. Uh, punters thinking that the Astros are going to take it to a game six. Uh, money's come for the mm-hmm. Astros to win today. And in the NFL side of things, uh, the Vikings up against the Cowboys. Uh, money for the Cowboys to win today. Of course, there's a bonus back promotion on that match. Just head to the TAB website for all the T's and C's. Incentivise, mate. Incentivise for you? Um, he's a wee bit short for mine. Uh, I can understand the price, but I'm looking elsewhere, Smitty. I'm looking elsewhere. Maybe one of the Kiwis. Good yeah. Okay. More on that tomorrow. More on that tomorrow. Uh, it's 11 o'clock here on SENZ. When we come back, we're going to Australia twice in the next hour. Here's Trudy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. It is 11.03 here on SCNZ. It's a little bit earlier than that in Australia where Andrew Voss has just finished his uh, breakfast show in Sydney, SEN over there. Uh, Vossie, good morning to you. Thanks so much for, for joining us again. As you say and you said last week, there's always something to talk about in NRL in the Rugby Hello. League. And today is the day the market opens up. So look out. The phones will be ringing. The agents will be um, at their busiest. Uh, sorry, Vossi's just dropped off. Uh, we'll, we'll get him back uh, very quickly because uh, uh, we value this segment, absolutely value it highly, and uh, he has got his finger on the pulse of all of that stuff coming through. So Vossi's back on. Uh, yeah, Vossi, just in case you didn't hear, uh, today's the day it starts in terms of um, the negotiating and the agents will be very busy. I've never heard the word frenzy used so often, <laughs> Smithy, as it has been. <laughs> around this date. Uh, hello to our listeners. And yeah, look, I'll tell, tell you a player who's getting some publicity that, that might make Warriors fans sort of uh, wonder, oh, if we're a chance. And I'm not sure what room is left with the Warriors salary cap, but Isaiah Papalihi is uh, apparently not happy with the terms that have been offered him 
uh, at, uh, at being offered at Parramatta after this absolutely superb year that he had. Um, I don't know. Is it, is it a chance? Could he could he return home? Um, and, and that's not for next season. That's for the year after. But uh, they're saying they're lowballing him. Um, he, he came over to Parramatta on a very modest contract. He now says after a you know a Dally M second round of the year season, uh, he's entitled to a big increase. And apparently the offer hasn't exactly been anywhere near what he was expecting. So I, well, obviously he'd be back on bigger money at the Warriors and what he was on. But I wonder if they'd have a little dabble at getting him back. Um, but he's one player in the mix. Uh, Parramatta, Parramatta and Penrith, actually. Parramatta probably the club most affected. They've got double-figure numbers when you talk about players coming off contract at the end of next year. So there's no way they're going to keep them all. In fact, they might struggle to get any more than half, you know, or, or eight or nine. You can't give them all big money. So, and because it's all at the one time, it's very hard to sort of have a picking order. You know, Clint Gutherson, Regan Campbell-Gillard, Junior Paulo, um, Bubba here. I mean, there's just so many of them. Rada Niyakore. So the frenzy has started. There's no doubt about that. The Warriors um, may be chasing Joseph Manu, is our, if our information is correct. Oh, no, that's 100% correct. Yeah, 100% correct. And, look, this is just going to have to be a personal decision for, um, for Joseph, uh, you know, a real big life decision, because it's not that he doesn't like playing for the Roosters, and it's not that they're not offering him, you know, decent coin to remain with the club. Um, the Warriors will better the offer of the Roosters. There's no doubt about that. He'll be a primary target, but it won't be... Yeah, yeah, yes, it'll be a, 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 a little bit more and your times it over the term of the contract. And, you know, you've got to put yourself in Joseph's shoes. But he, he is very happy at the Roosters. So it'll be a very tough call for him. Um, but he would be... Look, he, he's one of the really good players in the competition. He's a superstar, Joseph Manu. So if the Warriors got him, that, that's, that, that is like getting Roger Tuovasashek when he first signed from the Roosters to the Warriors. So... I think that'd be a great signing, but um, there's a fair bit to go on that one. I, I don't think the Roosters are going to give up easily, but they do have their figure. Mm. They do have a limit. They proved that with Latrell Mitchell. They weren't going to go any more for Latrell, and I think it'll be the same with Joseph Manu. They won't get to silly money. They'll, they'll put, they will table a very, very good offer, but it, but it won't be as big as the Warriors is, is my mail. Have you heard of any other hot properties uh, potentially on the market? Oh, look, every player, every player is going to be linked to the Dolphins. And I, I, I say that a little tongue-in-cheek, but, but having this new kid on the block um, that have to fill every single roster spot, it's going to be very easy for the managers to trot out the, well, the Dolphins, you know, that, that thinking that they may drive up the price. Uh, we're told that Regan Campbell-Gillard, back to Parramatta, is one of the players um, that, that could end up there. Um, Wayne Bennett, <laughs> you, would, you would think, I know they've, uh, Peter Sullivan's come across as recruitment manager, but you'd have to think that Wayne Bennett's got a little short list himself. Um, in what order they sign players, it remains to be seen, whether it'll be their highest profile first up or not. Um, but um, that, there will be plenty linked to the Dolphins. Uh, and and Kalen Ponga is potentially the biggest name um, out of all of them because his contract with Newcastle while he is signed up for the next few years, he has an option in his favour for 2023. So I think that enables him to, you know, his management team to at least explore some opportunities. So it certainly is game on. It's an extraordinary situation. We're talking about 160 players that are off contract at the end of next mm. year. So they can effectively be spoken to today in terms of contracts for 2023.
It's a, it's a staggering amount of players when you consider it. Uh, it really is. Um, you know, it's a, it's a hell of a lot. When you, you sort of take it, you, you, you're looking at probably three or four um, here and there uh, of the profile ones, and then you've got the ones below, the meat, the meat and the sandwich below, I guess. Well, it used to be said that um, at good clubs, this, this was an old adage, that good clubs never have players coming off contract or the ones they want to keep. They never actually come off contract. But because that, that doesn't ring true anymore, because we enable this system, you know, it is, it's, uh, the fans of other sports just think this is crazy. You know, other sports like AFL in Australia that have the draft, it's, it's ridiculous. So these players are under contract for the year after next that you can talk to them. It is, it is quite a system that we have and the instability that it creates. So again, I bring Parramatta into the conversation. I mean, we could have a situation, round one next year, and by the way, the draw is going to be announced um, this week, but Parramatta mm-hmm. kick off next year and, and like five or six of their, of their top squad, of the 17 that run out, will have already signed for a rival club for the season after that. Like that's... In some in some ways, that's a ridiculous way to run your business, isn't it? Vossi, you say that uh, the draw's going to come out, which uh, begs the question, what do you think the early rounds are going to look like? And not so much team on team, but venue on venue. Well, I, I must say, I've just finished my breakfast show here this morning and it's sort of been leaked out what the likelihood is of the first round at the very least. And a lot of listeners are very upset because you've got to consider... Um, and, and who am I to tell New Zealand listeners about the, the impact of not being able to see your team at home? I mean, New Zealand's gone through a couple of years of it. But um, Sydney fans are saying, well, South Sydney fans in particular, they've got wind of the fact that their first game next year will be against Brisbane in Brisbane. And South is saying, well, hang on a second. You know, we, we didn't get to enjoy our team in their grand final run. No matches in Sydney at all. Brisbane had everything. And now you're going to take the first game of the season we have to play in Brisbane? How is that reward? And, and I'm totally with them. At the very least, the two grand finalists should be playing their first matches of the year at home. We're told Penrith will. Um, but South Sydney, and a very good point that some of their fans made today, they actually want to farewell Adam Reynolds, who will be playing for Brisbane. They're saying, the only way we get to farewell him is if we play in Sydney. Because we're actually, you know, we want to... You know, I think, that, I think, it's, a, I think it's a really poor... Uh, selection if South have to play away round one and they're talking about Penrith Canterbury being the first match for the season now I agree with the theory that um, that Penrith or, or the defending Premier I believe should play the first game of the season I think that should be the kickoff to the next year it should always be the, the reigning champion but this is first against last now I know Canterbury are going to have this whole you know it's going to be a curiosity factor with all their new signings, but they shouldn't be rewarded with the first game of the season, even though it's an away game. I don't think first v last should be the game we kick off our new season with. Do you? I don't. No, no, I don't think so. I think the defence deserves more than that and uh, a more consideration all round. Uh, listen, one of the things they're going to have to uh, get their head around very quickly, and particularly if we're looking at crossing borders, etc., is this vaccine issue again. Uh, we're told that Nelson Asofa Solomona does not want the vaccine. Uh, so, I mean, he's just one of a group, I would imagine, Vossi, which are going to take some handling um, and the logistics yeah. of it. Well, the predictions are we're going to end up with, you know, one or two, three maybe at, at each club. Now, some clubs are getting close to 100%, but... Though, look, if you haven't had your first shot now, there's a fair chance that you, you oppose it, isn't it? I mean, there'd be no reason 
uh, to delay with off-season training starting. For some teams, off-season training starts this week. And Canterbury are one of those teams, having finished last at start this week, and had put in, not, not saying it's compulsory, but saying there's an expectation you'll be vaccinated. And if you're not, well, you can't train. You can't train with the team. Now, Melbourne's very different. You've got the whole government down in Melbourne saying the rules are, in Victoria, uh, no jab, no play or train. So Nelson Asa for Solomona will not be able to train with the team at all, let, let alone play, come next season. Now, there's some cynics out there that are saying, is it possible? They're trying to read between the lines. Is he want out of the club? Because this is one way you would get out of the club. And, and Melbourne are, uh, you know, are reluctant to, to sack him because they know he'll be signed in a heartbeat. And people are sort of saying, cynics are saying, well, he'll, he'll get out of Melbourne and then he'll relent and get the vaccine a month down the track. And Melbourne will say, well, if he had done that, we wouldn't have, you know, we wouldn't have got rid of him. So there's some, there's some uh, sceptics out there about this one. Um, what I will say, purely on football, let's leave the debate about the vaccine out. Nelson Nasser for Solomona is, is now heading towards the best part of his career and would be an incredible signing for any potential club, Warriors or anyone. Um, he, mm. he's, um, he, he makes an impact every game he plays now, so he'd be a great signing. Good news, though, uh, promotional-wise. Uh, it won't be in Australia or New Zealand. Uh, Russell Crowe and Hugh Jackman want their respective clubs for an NRL game in the United States uh, in around about, uh, what, 15, 18 months. Well, you know, reluctantly, I am going to put my name forward to commentate the game. Um, I'm happy to fly <laughs> over. Uh, I, no, well, I'm not happy. I, I, I'll do it. I'll put myself out and I'll fly over and do the game. You're actually talking to someone, Smithy, who has called a game in America, a rugby league game. I, I went to, um, to Jacksonville in 2008 to call the Australia Day Challenge, and it was at the request of Russell Crowe, who got in touch with my employer, Channel 9, at the time and said, can you provide a commentator to the game? So I flew over the hit-and-run mission over to Jacksonville, which is way over on the East Coast. It's like I was in the air more than I was on the ground in getting there and back. Mm. Um, and Isaac Luke actually played a great game for South Sydney at this particular game against the Leeds Rhinos. Um, so was there a crowd there? There was, actually. I, I can honestly say there was decent turnout. There was curiosity. Does it do much for the code? Like, what, was there much follow-up? Well, there obviously wasn't. That was 2008. We haven't been, <laughs> 13 years on, we haven't been back. Um, so, look, I like the idea of it. I, I'm all for promoting the game everywhere. Will it reap massive reward? The answer's, in all honesty, probably no. Okay. Um, Melbourne Cup tomorrow, of course, uh, I would imagine it's been thick on uh, your show. It will be tomorrow morning as well. Um, Incentivised, they're saying, could be the shortest prize favourite in the Cup since far lap. That is amazing. $2.80 at the moment um, with uh, most betting agencies incentivised. Some of them, in fact, paid out early. (laughs) On incentivise. I'm actually going Twilight Payment, which is in the third line of betting, around about $12 today in Australian markets. Uh, so I'm going against the favourite, probably taking the value. In fact, I backed it a few weeks back, well, over a month ago now. So um, Twilight Payment is my tip for the Melbourne Cup, but um, opinions and tips on the Melbourne Cup are like backside. So um, you've pretty, pretty much got to go your own, if you know what I mean. I know, um, and we weren't even going to bring up the fact that you got hammered by England in the T20 World Cup, and we just beat India. We weren't even going to mention that. Hello? There's a problem with the line there. Seems to cut out. <laughs> I'm not sure. Hello? Hello? You there? Hello? 
<laughs> no, I can't hear okay. I don't know where he's gone. I don't know. I get the message. I, would love to talk to I get the but message. Get the message, Hello. bossy. I get the message. Okay, okay. We'll see you next week. Thank you very much. Eleven sixteen here Hello. on SCNZ. <laughs> no, you lost. You lost. Just in case you didn't get that through to you. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, eleven sixteen. When we come back, uh, John Day has some Super Rugby signing scoops for us. Of sport in New Zealand. Superman. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Eleven twenty one, John. You have some uh, updated news on Super Rugby signings. Yeah, just a couple have just popped in. Our Super Rugby All Picky, of course, kicking off next year, and Chiefs fans should be quite excited because Ruby Tui, obvious uh, star of the Black Fern Seven side, she's played a little bit of Fifteens on the wing for Counties Monaco and other teams. I think Canterbury as well, and she has signed Smithy with the Chiefs in Super Rugby All Picky. So a very good signing there, and a couple of signings too for the Highlanders. Uh, one, I think told us on the show a few weeks ago. Maybe he shouldn't have. Gareth Evans, mm. one of your boys, Smithy. Mm. Not a, Gareth not a Evans is going to join his brother. Going to join his brother, actually. Brennan's uh, re-signed at uh, the Highlanders, so the, the Evans brothers will be playing together in that squad uh, down there. So, yeah, Gareth Evans, he let the cat out of the bag, so no longer with the Hurricanes. Uh, and the Tasman boy heading further south too. Yeah, Andrew Makaleo, who missed all this year with a neck injury for the Crusaders. He's been pretty good for them in the past, but um, no, he's moving uh, even further south to the Highlanders. So a couple of experienced forwards there for the Landers, Smithy, which is pretty good, I think, uh, for Tony Brown and Clark Dermody and that team down there. I think it is too. Uh, I, lo- I like him. Uh, fully fit, Makaleo is a great ball carrier as well. Absolutely fantastic ball carrier. Uh, and, of course, um, uh, the Dixon factor's disappeared, so they had to replace it, didn't they? The Ash Dixon factor. So yeah, true. They've gone for experience, they've gone for experience there in ball-carrying ability, so I think is a, a, a really, really good signing. Um, so uh, a couple of texts have come in, John, as well. I hate to say this is on the uh, Black Ferns, uh, but as well as poor preparation with lack of game time, there are some sentimental selections of players out of form and carrying recent injuries in the Black Ferns. That's from NBJ. Um, yeah, so there's uh, some definite opinion on the way they didn't play. Um, are India the new South African cricket team, or uh, the All Blacks before 2011 don't seem to win World Cups? Uh, South Africa have had a terrible run of being knocked out at semi-final stage in cricket World Cups, uh, but they haven't um, been... Um, I, I'm not sure they're going to be a factor in this one. I, I could be wrong. They've got a big game tonight. They play... Bangladesh, Bangladesh spinners, of course, might uh, find uh, something to say about that. But uh, there's so many good games in this competition. That's what I like about this T20 World Cup. It's over quickly, but uh, when it's on, it's quality, real quality matchups, and um, there are still some to come in both groups, high-profile ones in both groups with uh, some very good teams. Uh, under pressure, John. Yeah, I think Shakib Al Hassan's just been ruled out for Bangladesh. I think I was reading somewhere, Smithy. Ooh. So that's a huge loss for Bangladesh. Who, I mean, it's all cool to prepare your home pitches the way you want them to beat touring sides, isn't it? And Bangladesh certainly did that to us. They did that to Australia, but it doesn't seem to have served them well at this tournament, Smithy. So was that detrimental? Uh, you know, preparing their wickets the way they did for T20s in their own country, um, not preparing them for the surfaces that they've found in the UAE because they're a good side, but they just don't seem to be doing well at this tournament. No, important to do well at home and important, um, you know, when you as a, a, a smaller nation get the opportunity to embarrass the home nations, it improves your rankings, etc. It gives you uh, an opportunity to go straight through to groups and, and various tournaments, but 
that for them is, is uh, a really critical thing. So that they like that, but it doesn't stand you in good stead. It, it simply doesn't, and this is evidence of that. So not quite sure that they're going to be a factor, apart from maybe a spoiler along the way every now and then. Um, big uh, Here's a big rumour coming through you might want to follow up from Ken. Big rumour that Luke Romano is signed for the Blues. I'm not sure if there's any substance to that. Ken! It, it, it would take a, a bit to get him out of Christchurch, wouldn't it? Um, there's not a lot of not a lot of pig hunting in Queen Street. No, 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 yeah. No, but the ham would be closer for me to get, Smithy, that I'm going to probably buy you for Christmas. So if Luke Romano yeah. was to move up to here to Auckland, I'd be able to easily get that ham off him, chuck it in a courier bag, and it would be uh, to you for Christmas. So, um, man, he was good at the weekend. He <laughs> loves playing Tasman. He really does. Yeah. Um, on Friday night, he was magnificent. He was brilliant last year too when they beat them 29-0 in Blenheim. He stole every single line out. And then on Friday night, in the wet in Christchurch, he really stood up. I know Reed Princeps the captain of that side, but the spiritual leader is definitely Luke Romano, isn't it, Smithy? And you bloody got me twice over the weekend with the tipping comp. I'm not worried about that, John, at all. I, I was quite confident that that was in the bag quite some time out. In fact, I've just... Starting to look forward to the, the new potatoes and things to go with it. It's going to be fantastic. Um, yeah, uh, just getting back to that cricket. Uh, what I what what I liked is they picked the right team as well. New Zealand picked the right team. I think it was everyone's team, and it would just emphasise that they'd got it wrong in a couple of areas with the previous one. And for Adam Milne, it was an interesting start because his first act in the game was to drop Rohit Sharma down at fine leg, and then he came in and his first over went for fifteen. And I thought, man, this is horrific. Can't get you. And and then he, I think his next three overs, he went for a seven or eight. So he really pulled it back beautifully uh, in terms of the bowling. Uh, picked up a wicket al- along the way too. So uh, his was a good return, and it just showed you uh, what a pace attack. Uh, what a, even in the driest conditions and the hottest conditions, what a quality pace attack can do for you. Yeah, absolutely. I, man, that wouldn't have done a lot for his confidence though, Smithy. You're the guy who's just come into the team and you drop a sitter. That was very uncharacteristic. Yeah, and we East Sodi dropped one right at the end, which wasn't costly at all. Uh, but they're, they're kind of things uh, that are good because, uh, it, you know, you, you haven't reached your perfect performance. Uh, so it's a, quite a gentle little reminder, actually, that there's still work to be done. And uh, those high catches, uh, and, and Glenn Larber made a very good point. The number, the number of Indian batsmen who were caught in the deep. Now, I'm not quite sure about that, to be honest. I know everyone's looking for the rope and they want the glorious shots, but... The number of them that mistimed shots to the outfield or just hit it to straight to players. I mean, one of the first things you do as a, as a top-class batsman is find out where the fielders are, where the fielders are and where the gaps are. That's what they say. Bradman used to. Bradman didn't see fielders, he saw gaps. So, you know, the, fine, the best players don't look for fielders, they look for gaps. Man, they just picked out fielders on a regular basis without them hardly having to move right from the outset, India. That, that, to me, was one of the most surprising thing about their dismissals. I, I can understand, you know, going for the big hit and that, but then they, when they tried to readjust, they couldn't. I haven't got the stats with me now, but we would have bowled a hell of a lot of dot balls. And a lot of, I think there's 71 balls at one stage we bowled without them hitting a boundary. That's remarkable. <laughs> That's amazing. From a team coming straight out of the IPL, played in that you know, region, uh, to not be able to find a boundary for 12 overs at one point. Just incredible and just shows how well our spinners bowled. Like you mentioned it earlier in the show. I mean, Santner and Sodi between them, eight overs, one for 32. That's just amazing in T20 cricket. And I think you put it out there earlier as well. Do we have the best bowling attack in the T20 World Cup? Well, off the back of that performance, 
uh, certainly we had great plans to go with some great bowling and only two wide, Smithy. So I think you're right yeah. on the money. Well, I think we have. I think we've got the best balanced bowling attack for those conditions that we played in today anyway. Um, yeah, interesting. And, and a text has just come into the effect of, uh, hi, Smithy, the legacy of Mike Hessen is still evident in New Zealand cricket. And uh, I think it's fair to say that he deserves a, a little bit of credit for it too. He's been out of the coaching gig for a while, but uh, in all honesty, a lot of those players were learning some very good habits quite some time ago, and that was his time when uh, he took us to that World Cup final in Melbourne. Uh, weren't uh, good enough on that occasion. I'd uh, be interested to hear what Baz's uh, thoughts were on that as well as the, the captain at that time. Uh, 11.30 here on SENZ, we're going to be talking to Simon O'Donnell, former Australian cricketer, um, but uh, a man who knows pretty much everything about this Melbourne Cup carnival. So we'll be talking to him very shortly. But uh, prior to that, of course, it's your turn to have a, a little chat on the radio and answer some questions if you can. 50 bucks worth of vouchers for the TAB to put towards your Melbourne Cup punting tomorrow. Here we go. And um, just before we get to Stump by Smithy, I will mention that uh, you'll have an opportunity to join the Punters Club tomorrow, uh, which is something pretty awesome we do here on SNZ, normally on the weekends. Hey, Brian. Brian, the panellist sitting next to me, he normally runs the Punters Club, don't you, Brian? Absolutely. It's a lot of fun. You know, you do you generally you send a text in and you get in the draw and we pick the people. So tomorrow from 6am, you'll hear the code and it'll run across all our shows. So Baz and Izzy in the morning, uh, mornings with Smithy, and then Staffy, and then on drive. And uh, in drive at about quarter to five, they'll announce the 20 lucky people who have joined the Punters Club, and then each show will have $250 to spend on a Melbourne Cup race. And then whatever profit is left over, which I'm sure will be plenty, Smithy, the way that we all punt, um, there'll be plenty of profits, and that will be shared between the 20 people who get selected to join the Punters Club. So that's all pretty exciting, and that's all happening from 6am tomorrow. But in the meantime, it is Stumped by Smithy and Steve-O from Auckland. You've got a chance to win 50 bucks and some sleep drops. How are you? Fine, good, thanks, mate. How was the weekend? Yep, mine was okay. It got off to a bad start with Tasman losing, um, but then it got pretty good after that. Smithy, how was your weekend? Yeah, no, fantastic. Tasman lost, Hawks Bay won, the All Blacks won, the Black Caps won, uh, the Black Ferns didn't, but by and large, I'll take four out of five anytime, John. Thank you, and yep. good morning to you, Steve-O. All right. Morning, Smithy. All right. Have you any sleep? <laughs> <laughs> no sleep, no. <laughs> no, no, he's been getting up at 2.30 in the morning, bloody early. But um, it's all over to you now, Steve. You get three sporting categories, you choose one, then you get three questions right and you win. But if you get one wrong, you can be stumped. So are you ready for your categories? Yeah, good to go, mate. All right, rugby, cricket and Formula One. Which one of those do you like? Rugby. Rugby. Solid. All right, mate, let's go. What did you make of the ABs over the weekend, by the way? Oh, a bit too much kicking, eh, but got what? there in the end. What? <laughs> never happy. We're never happy, are we? Gosh, too much kicking. Nah. All right. Bowden Barrett became the 11th All Black to play 100 tests when he dominated Wales yesterday. Can you name the other 10? It's a lot. Oh, to, it's, a, it's asking a lot. All right, yep. Sam Whitelock. Yep. Kieran Reid. Yep. Maha Nonu. Yep. Aaron Smith. Yep. Mills Mulaina. Yep. Owen Frank. Yes. Uh, Dan Carter. Yes. I think there's two more. Was it? 
Nah, I've had a roadblock, mate. That is that is good. I, I thought about maybe asking for less, Smithy. Should I have asked for all the yeah. other ten, or because that was pretty good off the top of your head? Steve-O um, scored a try in the 2011 World Cup final. What is it, sorry? The only, he scored a try in the 2011 World Cup final. Tony the Woodcock. only try. Tony Woodcock. Tony Woodcock, yeah. Excellent, and I think we've got one more, and he's uh, recently come back into the headlines, actually, because he's played some Heartland Championship. I already named Ma. Yep. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Well, then that was very good. Uh, yeah, well done. Brilliant. Good stuff. Question number two. The Black Ferns played their 100th test this weekend. They lost to England badly. But who is their current captain? Mm, One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy. Yeah, the current captain we talked about it the other day is Les Elder. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Unlucky, Steve. Tough going, eh? Yeah, it is tough going, but, you know, that's done by Smithy. We don't just give stuff away just for turning up. you got to be good. So, Chris from Christchurch, you get one question. Get it right, and you take everything. Get it wrong, and it might jackpot till tomorrow. So, how are you feeling about your rugby? Uh, I wouldn't have picked the rugby. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, let's hope this one's relatively easy, but is it? How many tries has Bowden Barrett scored in his 100 test matches? Oh, it was 39. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Very well done. You get some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements, and also 50 bucks from the TAB. Smithy, you got a tip for Chris for uh, the Melbourne Cup tomorrow? No, I just think incentivised wins. But we'll be talking to Simon O'Donnell very shortly, and he'll either confirm or deny that. But I think the Caulfield Cup winner will get the double. I think it's just too good. I just think it's a special, special animal. So... Uh, all the best for that 50 bucks. I hope you invest it wisely, mate. Uh, thanks very much for taking part this morning. And stay on the line. Brian will get your details. Uh, have a good day and enjoy tomorrow. Enjoy Cup Day tomorrow over on the other side of the Tasman. Uh, yes, as I said, former Australian cricketer Simon O'Donnell and uh, racing man for SENZ in Australia as well with us very shortly. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 11.43 here in New Zealand, earlier of course uh, in Australia, um, where we're joined now by a terrific bloke, uh, great uh, opponent too, I will say, in terms of cricket. Uh, One of Australia's best all-rounders during that era was Simon O'Donnell. Uh, And then of course uh, Simon was uh, always uh, interested in the horses and uh, made his name following uh, the horses and talking about them and uh, it's a great honour for him at this time of the year for us to be able to talk to him. So uh, uh, Simon, good morning to you, long time. Mr Smith, it is uh, a highlight to be saying today. I haven't chatted you for ages. No, it's great mate and especially at at this time of the year. Uh, Let's let's just hit out at uh, last, uh, last Saturday uh, was everything it lived up to be, uh, Derby Day, and of course uh, then a corresponding meeting in Sydney as well with some big, big money on stakes. What were the features for you? Yeah, look, um, I thought the Derby was just a, you know, just a, 
a classic, if you like. We're getting a lot more depth, Smithy, in our derbies these days. You know, generally there was you know, two or three horses that would have a, a pedigree profile to run a mile and a half. But now, you know, you're seeing 10 or 12 of these horses with the European influence we've had over the last few years. And, um, you know, it was just a really good derby. I think he's an exceptional colt that won it. Um, he's trained by a stable that's, you know, really good conditioner of horses uh, from the May Eustace camp. So, um, you know, it was look, a highlight of the day. And, um, you know, and then up in Sydney where, you know, um, all, the, all the money was on offer, you know, in the Golden Eagle, we, we saw one of the, you know, the horses that stands over in New Zealand. Uh, he was the dad of the winner. So, you know, that's, a, that's all a good thing that um, not only here in Australia uh, are we having very... Um, big carnivals at the moment. The influence of the the Kiwi breeding is still really prominent here, Smitty. Simon, uh, obviously no crowds, uh, well, limited crowds, but uh, I, I would imagine you, know, you you were on track. Was was uh, there a semblance of something special about the day? Just anyway. Well, it was funny. Firstly, it was better than last year with none, um, mm. but. But there's still a real, uh, and maybe Victoria, we're on base, and we're, we're, we're just, we've still got the, um, uh, the the semblance of people, you know, being locked down for so long, because there was a, uh, you know, um, an expectation from the crowd that they really enjoyed their time, but there wasn't um, uh, the exuberance I thought there would probably be, and I think that we're still partially... They're treading on eggshells, if you like, just to we'll get back into normal society slowly as we go. It won't be something that'll we'll just bounce back into it. There was a there was a touch of hesitancy there the other day. Uh, people they're loving being back at the track, but they were being very careful while they were doing it. Mm. Okay, let's look at uh, tomorrow when they they will be back in their finery. Uh, those that are allowed. Uh, now, let, let's talk about this horse's incentivise. Uh, some are saying over here, surely not. It's a, uh, it is the shortest price favourite, we're told, since the great far lap, way back when, um, before you even went to the races, my old mate. So how good is this horse? Well, look, he, he's good. Um, he, he, he will write himself into the record books if he can win the Melbourne Cup tomorrow. He's got to carry 57 kilos. He's got a wide barrier. They've been trying to outride him in his last two runs in the Turnbull Stakes of the Caulfield Cup. He's responded both times. Uh, can he respond over the two miles is the big question. And, um, you know, he has to be as good as everyone's saying he is to, to win tomorrow. Um, time will tell, but, you know, the weight he's carrying two miles has brought a lot of very good horses undone over the journey. Um, I, I, I wish him well. I sort of hope, for racing's sake, he can get there. Gee, I reckon it's a tough task. You know, it's, it's not a vintage field, but they're still bloody hard to win Melbourne Cups. They are, and uh, one of the blokes trying to win two in a row is Joseph O'Brien uh, with the toppy. Uh, drawn well, drawn much more favourite, uh, uh, much more favouritism in terms of the draw for uh, Twilight Payment. Uh, could it back up? Yeah, I think it can. And Joseph O'Brien just only we only found out this morning he's on a plane on the way over. Now 
he kept that very quiet. No one knew um, his intention to come over and actually watch the race live. So that's given everyone a bit of um, a pep up if you're a Twilight Payment fan. But he won it well last year. He goes up two and a half kilos. This year he's drawn a better barrier. I don't think the field is as strong this year. And he's coming in with even better form in Ireland through the uh, Irish at Ledger than what he did last year. So um, you can't dismiss him. He'll be in it for a hell of a long way, if not poking his nose in front at the end of it. The next two in the book are pretty well backed in terms of um, the betting because uh, you, you take out incentivise, then there's a, a line of three in the early double figures. Uh, very elegant, of course, uh, great interest here with James uh, McDonald and Chris Waller. Um, is there a Spanish mission just above it with Craig Williams and Andrew Balding? That poor old Spanish mission, he's been poked and prodded and pushed and flexed and trotted and you know, everything you don't want to happen to your horse you know, a week out for a Melbourne Cup has happened to him in the last seven days. So you know, he's going to, um, he's been out of his comfort zone for a few days, not resting and going through his routine like everyone would like him to do. Uh, with all these veterinary inspections, it's um, they've been very challenging for the boarding camp and uh, for his horse. So uh, I've got a question mark over him just to see, wondering whether he can he can run up to his best. I love the mare, you know, very elegant, and you know, James McDonald. Like seriously, uh, um, you guys can be so proud of him. He is he is some horseman and some rider. He's absolutely mm. spectacular. Had a great day Saturday with four winners. And be, just with him sitting on her back gives her just a mercurial chance of, of winning the Cup. I think it was seventh she finished last year. Um, mm. She's just drawn awkwardly in 19. Well, actually, it's worse than awkward. It's bloody terrible. But um, mm. if anyone can overcome it, uh, that great man who's won nine group ones, she can. And so can James McDonald. Yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, she was very good performance last year, just a little bit late arriving on the piece to get the business end of it, but her run was pretty special. Uh, down in the weights, uh, any, anything sneaky, just uh, sneaking into the field that Brew liked that we can perhaps look at? Uh, there always is. Um, you know, there's always horses that, that um, you know, I suppose get in and have the right pedigree to run really well. You know, one one of the horses that you know, um, she's down in the weights, but you know has had a really good preparation coming in and build up to it is Charlie Rose. She's jumping from barrier twelve. Her, her lead up runs have been exceptional, and that she'll genuinely run the two miles. She hasn't got a great turn of foot, but but a funny feeling it's going to be a pretty quick one run race tomorrow and if that's the case I think she can sit somewhere up near speed and if it's a strong staying test she might be there in the finish so uh, I give her a a good show and the other horse that people are talking about this morning and it fits that profile of the the northern hemisphere three year olds that have come over and done really well here with rekindling and cross counter a horse called Sir Lucan right down the bottom uh, from the Waterhouse Bot Camp uh, has performed well in Europe as a three-year-old, comes out here for his first Australian start, uh, is well-bred, and you know, as I said, the profile of those three-year-olds coming out of Europe fits this bloke down to the ground. So 
I'll be um, keeping a bit of an eye on Sir Lupin as well, number 24. Okay. Uh, just uh, before I let you go, um, Scoobin, thanks very much for your uh, your information here. It's uh, been well and truly noted. I I just wonder, have you, have you cast your eye over the T20 World Cup? Have you, have you had a look at Australia? I have. Um, funny game, this T20, isn't it? It happens pretty quick. <laughs> I make a bit of money pretty quickly, what? mate. Oh, I did Look, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. You know, I think the, the Australians are probably in a, in a better spot where a lot thought they were going to be. Well, England are uh, you know, just in red-hot form at the minute. I, I obviously take note of, uh, of your boys. I mean, you know, the last two years of cricket for New Zealand have been spectacular, and um, I think they'll over, overtake... Afghanistan, all right, and, and get to the top two in the group and get through to a to a semi final. But you know, look, the Indians have probably been the ones that you know, I've been surprised about. They haven't won a game yet, and um, you know, mm. I, I think they probably went in as favourites. And in Pakistan, well, they're bringing their A game to the table at the minute. But as we know, Smithy, in two or three games' time, it could be their X game. So we'll yeah. just see if they hang in there. Good on you, mate. Hey, enjoy tomorrow. I know it's always a uh, favourite day on your calendar. Uh, I'd love to see incentivised uh, win it for the same reasons as you, but a um, lot of interest, a lot of interest on the field. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Simon. I really appreciate it. Great to have a chat today. We'll chat again soon. Yeah, cheers. Simon O'Donnell there, folks. It's 11.53 here on SENZ. Uh, just time. Very brief moment to catch up with Staffy before his show this afternoon.